book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60. The name of the message this, morning, this evening is, I keep saying this morning, I don't know why, is Rise and Shine, Rise and Shine. How do you feel when you wake up in the morning? Do you feel like rising and shining? If you're anything like me, it's kind of like coffee, coffee, where's the coffee? Where's the coffee? Who made the coffee? It's usually me. You know, we think we can't get by without coffee. Eh, maybe we can. But I think rise and shine, I think God is trying to tell us something other than how we feel in the morning. So let's read. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 3. Rise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. We're going to talk about rising and shining, more, more, more about shining than rising. But before we can think about rising, let's look at something else that's been mentioned in that verse. So look at verse 2 again. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. Is there darkness in the earth right now? It's dark outside right now, but tomorrow morning there will be sunshine. I don't think that's the kind of darkness that God's talking about. Darkness is, has, a, is a symbolic, has a symbolic meaning in the Bible. The first symbolic meaning of the Bible is, the, is, is sin. Darkness is a picture of sin. John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 said, And this is the condemnation, that light, that's Jesus, has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Why? because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. You know, most crime happens at night, doesn't it? Yep. Isn't it? You know, you don't, you don't wait till the sun is high in the sky before you try to rob somebody's house, although sometimes they do if they're foolish enough. But most crime and most sin happens in darkness. Why is that? Because everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. They don't want to be seen. Right. Neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. Darkness is a symbol of sin. Everybody in the world is subject to sin. We all sin. Thank God that he came to set that, that he sent his son to take care of that for those that believe. But before we were saved, and even after we're saved, we still come under the, con not the condemnation, but, but, and not the control either, by the way, but the temptations of sin. The devil doesn't want us to follow God. Uh, darkness is also a symbol of unbelief. These are Jesus' words in John chapter 12, verses 46 through 48. He said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Do you want to abide in darkness? I don't want to abide in darkness. I don't want to live in darkness. 
I can't wait till the darkness that's in there is removed when I get my glorified body. But I still have darkness in there. I still have the sin nature. But I don't have to abide in darkness. Jesus said, if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus, when he came the first time, he didn't come to judge the world, although he could have. He came to save the world, to save the sins, to save to pay for the sins of the world on the cross. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14 said, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal, the eternal spirit, offer himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know, you can search the Old Testament, and you will not find any place in the Old Testament where God said, if you keep the law and if you sacrifice animals, you'll go to heaven. It's not there, folks. God never promised salvation by the law nor by the sacrifice of animals. What he did promise was rain in the due season. I'll keep your enemies away. Your enemies will not harm you. Your crops will grow. Your animals will live and be healthy, and everything will be fine. You'll have, you'll have the land of Canaan, and you'll be able to stay there in peace, and everything will be wonderful. All you have to do is keep the law. Obey my commandments. Did they? Did Israel do that? No. How long did God endure the unbelief and the disobedience of Israel? You know, I went on Google and I tried to find out how many times Israel turned their back on God and how many times Israel said, I couldn't find it. But I'm sure it's, it's hundreds of times, over hundreds of years. Think all the way back to coming out of Egypt. God said, ten times you, you disobeyed me. Ten times you turned your back, even in that 40 years. Think of how many times they turned their back on God in the book of Judges. Right. Think of how many times they turned their back in northern part of Israel. Every one of those kings were evil. Not one of them followed God. How many times in Judah? Some of the kings were good, some of them were bad. God endured that. We think that, oh, but people like to say, God is so cruel when he wants to judge the world. But God endured. Think, think of it from God's standpoint. He created the world. He created Adam and Eve. He created mankind. Not only did he create them, but he knew what was going to happen in the future, and he endured it. He endured, and he, he said, I will not always, I, think, I can't think of the word. Well, anyway, I will not judge you right away. He endured it for hundreds of years, maybe almost a thousand years. And finally, you know what happened with, with Israel, you know what happened with Judah. And he says in verse 48, He that rejects, rejecteth me and rejecteth and receiveth not my words hath one that will judge him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Jesus is coming again. First, he's going to take the church away. Then he's coming again with us behind him on white horses. I can't wait. 
I can't wait to ride my white horse. And when he comes the second time, he's coming to judge unbelievers. Right. He's going to come as God. He's going to come not as a humble servant, but he's going to come as a majestic God. And all those that try to stand up against him, they won't have a chance. You know, it's a funny thing about darkness and light. Light can overcome darkness, but darkness cannot overcome light. When you walk into a dark room, turn the light on, what happens to the darkness? It goes away. Does that darkness ever overcome that light? The only way that, that the room gets dark again is you shut the light off. Light overcomes darkness. Jesus will overcome the devil. Jesus will overcome sin. He already has. Jesus will overcome death, the last enemy. The light of Jesus is stronger than the darkness of the devil. Remember what Jesus said? Greater is he that is in thee than he that is in the world. Darkness will never, the devil will never overcome Jesus. He thinks he can. He thought he did when he saw him on the cross. Oh, I won. Can you imagine? Remember when, when Jesus was tempted and, and the devil said to Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, all this world, I'll give it to you. How idiot, how much of an idiot, that, you know, Pastor Lex had called the devil a dude. I mean, he's really a dude. Who created the universe? You can't give the universe back to God. He created it. The devil thinks that, that he has the power. He thought he had the power to give the universe back to Jesus. It's just, just the world back to Jesus if you, fall, if you bow down and worship me. I hate the devil. You know why? Because he hates me, and he hates you, and he hates Israel. By the way, be praying for Israel. There's a lot of bad things going on in Israel right now. And a lot of lies are being told about Israel right now. Israel is, is surrounded by enemies, north, south, east, and west. They all hate Israel. They want to drive Israel into the sea. But God said, nope, not going to happen. Now, what about the light? We talked about darkness. We know about darkness. We don't want to live in darkness. I hate darkness. I've trusted Christ as my Savior, and hopefully you have too, and those out in, uh, on social media, you have too. And if you have, then you don't have to worry about abiding in darkness because you have the light. Jesus is the light of salvation in two ways. First of all, he's a fulfillment of prophecy. Matthew 4, verses 12 to 16 it says, now when Jesus had heard that John the Baptist was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee, which is in northern Israel. And leaving Nazareth, he came to dwell in, dwell in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulon and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was, now get this now, here's the prophecy, that it might be fulfilled, spoken by Isaiah the prophet. I know it's, it's spelled Isaiah, but that's the Greek way of saying Isaiah. The prophet saying, the land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, 
the people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. That's a direct prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. If you want to go there, you don't have to go there now. When you get home, look up Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and you'll see almost those same exact words. Jesus said, now Jesus spent a lot of time, more time in Galilee than in Judah, in, in Jerusalem. A lot of time in Capernaum. Capernaum is in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Capernaum and all those, those, those uh, cities up there. He spent a lot of time up there, and he preached to them, and he healed people, and he, and he let them know that he was the Messiah, and he is the light of salvation. So from, for a, for, from a fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus is the light. But also from the testimony of his own mouth. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, darkness, but shall have the light of light. Do you want to walk in darkness? I don't want to walk in darkness. I hate walking around in darkness. Especially when it's, the only time I like darkness is when I'm looking at the sky and seeing the stars. That's a good time for darkness because you can see the, you see the stars better. The glory of the heavens. My favorite constellation is Orion. How many, have ever, how many of you know where Orion is? It's up in the sky. Orion's the one that has the three stars with the belt, and, he, and he's supposed to, supposedly holding a bow and arrow, and he's getting ready to shoot. Orion is a, is, a, is a hunter. And if you look up, I think right now he's in the eastern sky. Look at, look at three stars in a row like that. That's his belt, and that's, that's the constellation of Orion. He's my favorite. I love him. Sometimes I even talk to him. He never talks back to me, though. But the idea is, if you follow Jesus, trust Christ as your Savior, you will no longer be walking in darkness, but you'll be walking in the light of salvation. Amen. Amen is true. God wants us to wake up to a new life. The promises of the Old Testament have been fulfilled. He says in Isaiah, again, 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. The light came. Jesus came. The promise of the Old Testament, the only difference between the Old Testament and New Testament, the people of the Old Testament trusted in the future Messiah to come. People in the New Testament trust in the, in the Jesus that already came. They trusted in the future. We trust in the past. But God wants us to arise to a new life. He doesn't just say, okay, uh, so-and-so, you trusted Christ, he's the Savior, come on up to heaven. He keeps us here for a reason, because he wants us to arise and to walk in new life. Go to Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. Paul says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, does he? Does the spirit of Jesus that raised from the dead dwell in you? If he does, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies 
by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Read that again. That's a very important verse. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. We have a living spirit. If we trusted Christ as our Savior, we have a living spirit within us that was dead before in trespasses and sin. Ephesians 2, 1, verse 1 and verse 5 say, And you have the quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. We were dead. We were living. Maybe we thought we were having a great time. Maybe we thought everything was fine. Think of people like Ted Turner, a billionaire, and uh, Musk there, the, the, the guy who's got the cars there, Edward Irwin Musk, whatever his last first name is. They have more money than they will ever spend in a lifetime. But do you think they're happy? I wonder if they lay in their bed at night and say, what's going to happen to me when I die? Where am I going to go when I die? I'm not going to live forever. I can't live. What's going to happen to me when I die? I don't care what they say. They may deny that until, until the cows come home. But I know that in their minds, no matter how much money they have or prestige or no matter how popular they are, when they're alone in their bed, they say, What's going to happen to me when I die? Even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. When we trust Christ as our Savior, that spirit, now we talked about this before, matter of fact, the last time I was here I did, that spirit that was dead in trespasses and sin because of Adam and Eve's sin, that spirit that we're all born with, which is dead, he quickens it. When we trust Christ as our Savior, now we have a spirit. We still have the sin nature, but now we have something to fight against the sin nature. We have a spirit, but we also have the Holy Spirit within us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Can you believe that? Think about that for a minute. God is dwelling in you. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is equal to the Father, equal to the Son. He is God, and he's dwelling in you. But here's a, here's a, 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 a serious thought. Wherever you go, you're taking him with you. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't say, oh, wait a minute, I can see when you're going to do something wrong. I'm getting out of here. No, he stays with you. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have a living spirit that God quickened when we trusted Christ as our Savior. And now we can shine with the light of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7 says, For God, who commanded, commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you have that? Those of you that are out on uh, watching us on, uh, on the media, do you have that? Do you have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in your heart? Do you have that? 
But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I'm an earthen vessel. I'm not perfect. Neither are you. Neither is anybody. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. When we do the right thing, we do it by the power of God, not by our own power. Remember, we have the Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit. When we, when we do what the Spirit tells us to do instead of what the flesh tells us to do, we're doing it by the power of God. It's not by my power. If it was by my power, I'd never do it right. I'd never be able to do it. Again, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. By the way, it's not of good works either. Good works are good. Good works are a result of our salvation. Good works do not give us salvation. Good works are a result of our salvation. And he says, thy light is come. 2 Timothy 1 verses 9 and 10. I hope you don't mind all these verses. I just love, you know, I love to let the word of God say, say to our hearts what he wants to say. Second Timothy 1, chapter, nine and, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us, now get this, which was given to us in Jesus Christ, before the world began. Now, you got to be careful with that. that that's a, a tremendous statement, but you've got to be careful with that because you know what Calvinism does with that verse. Calvinism says, see, see, look, look. We were saved by the decree of God before the world began. So be careful. It's not that we were saved by the decree of God. We were saved by the foreknowledge of God. Do you think... Anything, I, I love this statement. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? Is God ever surprised? When I do something wrong, does God, oh, oh now what am I going to do? He just did that. Not only does God know everything we're going to do, anything we will do, but God knows anything, everything that would have happened if we had done something else. God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He knows everything. Who has saved us and called us according to a holy calling, not a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing, <coughs> excuse me, of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and had brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now when you read verses like that, does that make you want to jump up and down? You know, you, you read something like that and you say, wow, God did that for me. Why would God do that for me? Why, why did God send his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins? Why? Who knows? Because he loved us. He loves us, and guess what? Did God love Adolf Hitler? Yes. Did God love Joseph Stalin? Yes. Does God love Ted Turner? Yes. 
Does God want them to be saved? Yes. Will they be saved? Don't know. He also gave us free will. We could trust. God doesn't want a robot. God doesn't want to be able to control us like that. Nope. God wants us to turn to him out of our own volition, of our own free will, because we love him. We love him because he first loved us. Verse 10 is now, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He paid that price. When he was on the cross, he didn't just die for my sins or your sins. He died for the sins of the whole world. To give everybody an opportunity, anybody has an opportunity, whosoever will, has an opportunity to trust Christ as their Savior. If they don't, then there's no hope. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God wants us all to be with him. But God doesn't force anybody to be with him. He gives us the free will to do that. Now let's look at the results of all this. The results of waking up to a new life. Or waking up and rise and shine. Go to, let's go there. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, looking at verse 14 through 20. Ephesians chapter 5, 14 Wherefore, or therefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. Drink your coffee. Awake thou that sleepest, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Rise and shine. See then that ye walk circumspectfully. That means carefully. Looking around. Watching where temptation may come. See that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, that means using the time, using the time that God has given us to serve him because the days are evil. Are the days evil today? We are seeing things today that 20 years ago I would have said never happened. Sometimes I like to watch stuff on uh, YouTube on uh, YouTube or on Netflix or on uh, Hulu. You've got to be careful what you watch. The language, they, they can say anything they want now. And it, it, it's just the way of the world. 20 years ago, there's things that they say now that 20 years ago they wouldn't be allowed to say. Is the world getting better? People try to tell you that the world's getting better. It's not getting better, folks. It's getting worse. Right. Verse 17, Therefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What's the will of the Lord for your life? What's the will of the Lord for my life? What does God want me to do? What does God want you to do? Do you know what it is? Have you asked God, God, what do you want me to do? What do you, where do you want me to go? Missionaries do that all the time. They ask God, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And God says, go to China. Go to, go to, go to uh, Egypt. Go to uh, India like our, our missionary here. Go to Japan like Sarah. Go 
that not everybody can be a missionary, but everybody can know and understand what the will is for their life. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit. Now here Paul uses the analogy of being drunk with wine. What happens to a person when they're drunk? Do they act in the right way? When you, when you, we, just see, we see a person that's drunk. I'm not going to imitate a drunk person because I, I, I don't, just don't want to do it. But just think about people that you have seen that are drunk and they say things that are stupid, things that they would never say if they were sober. And they do things that are stupid, things that they would never do if they were sober. Here's this analogy. Don't be drunk with wine, which is an excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That word filled means controlled. We don't have a special, a special time where we get saved first and then we have to call on the Holy Spirit to come into us. The Holy Spirit comes into us the, the minute we are saved. But the Bible says to be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God take control of your life and help you to do the right thing all the time. Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns, verse 19, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you thank God every day for your salvation? You should. It cost him a lot. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon me. And then he said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His yoke wasn't easy. His burden wasn't light. But the yoke that he gives to us. Now, everybody knows what a yoke is, right? A yoke is what attaches, attaches two oxen together. God wants us to be yoked up to him. The reason he says it's easy is because all we need to do is believe and trust. That yoke is easy, but his burden and his yoke was not easy. It was not easy for Jesus to go to the cross. We're going to talk about that in another message. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Don't be drunk with wine, but be controlled by the Spirit. Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody unto the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God, all things, the pain, the financial troubles. Thank God for that. God says to give all things, be thankful for all things. Because what I think God means by that is, is when we have negative things and, and difficult things that happen in our life, God wants us to trust him to get us through it. And he will get us through it. He got us through our sin, through the sacrifice on the cross. That's the worst burden anybody could ever have, right? So giving thanks for all things unto God the Father in the name of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. We always pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In closing, I'd like to give you three things to consider. Very important. First Thessalonians 519 says, quench not 
the spirit. Quench not spirit. What does that word quench mean? It means to suppress or to stifle. It does not mean forsake. We can't forsake the Holy Spirit because he stays with us, but we can quench him. An example, say you're very, very, very thirsty. Your mouth is dry, your throat is dry, and you're just so thirsty. So what do you do? Go into the refrigerator, get a nice big tall glass of water, and you drink that water. And what does that water do? It quenches your thirst. But does that mean you'll never be thirsty again because you drank that one glass of water? No. The water quenches your thirst, but you're going to be thirsty again. That's what Paul means when he says, quench not the spirit. Because we can quench the spirit. We can turn our back on, the, on, on the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. We can say, no, I don't want to do that. And God will let us do that. But when we quench the Spirit, we get thirsty, don't we? I remember a while back, I quenched the Spirit. And I was thirsty every day. And I was never happy. I was never satisfied. And I got, God got a hold of me again brought me back into, into his way of living, into his life, and now I'm satisfied. I get thirsty once in a while, but when I get thirsty, I don't quench the Spirit. I go to the Spirit. And what happens when we quench the Spirit? This is, what, this is something I want you to think about, because a lot of times we don't think about this. Lately, when I've been going, that's the past two years in a row now, as I, as I go through the Bible in my devotions, I look at the verses from the standpoint and the context of how these things make God feel. When we quench the spirit, Ephesians 4.30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. That word grieve means to make sorrowful. When we turn our back, follow the flesh instead of following the spirit. Do you think that makes God sad? Is it possible for me or you to make God sad? Yes. It says, Paul says, don't grieve the spirit. He's in you. When you disobey God, when you do not, when you don't do what God wants you to do, it grieves him. We are his child. Do you think the people, do you think the Israelites grieved God when they did all the things that they did? Do you think God just said, well, whatever. You just go ahead and do what you want. Do you think it made God cry sometimes? He said in Jeremiah, my bowels, my bowels, my, I'm hurting within me. It hurts God when we disobey. It hurts God when we quench the spirit. It hurts God when we do wrong. So what do we do? How do we get out of that? I mean, do we just say, okay, I quenched the spirit. God's, God, I made God sad. I'm all done. My life is over. My spiritual life is over. No, no. Did God do that with Israel? When Israel 
did wrong, and they repented, and they went back to God and asked for forgiveness. Did God forgive them? Yes, he did. How many times? We don't know. Hundreds, maybe. Maybe a thousand. So what do we do when we quench the spirit and grieve God? Go to 1 John 1.9. We don't have to go there. You probably, all, you probably know this verse by heart. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, John wrote this book to Christians. This verse is not talking about salvation. When he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins, he's not talking about forgiveness, the forgiveness of salvation. That's already done. My sins are covered. My sins are forgiven. But John said to Christians, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is to believers. What does Pastor always say when he talks about, when he uses this verse? What does he always say? Keep short accounts. If we fail, if we sin, if we make a mistake, if we do something wrong, don't put it on the back burner and say, I'll, I'll take care of that next month. Pastor, Pastor Barbosa always says, keep short accounts. If we slip up, if we fail, if we do something wrong, if we sin, confess it to God immediately, immediately. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that doesn't mean we've lost our salvation and we've got to get saved all over again. It means we've lost our fellowship with God. David said, if I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That word regard doesn't mean just one. That word regard means to continue in the ways of sin. God will not hear me. We can lose fellowship with God because of sin. We can't lose our salvation, but we can lose fellowship. God won't use a Christian that doesn't follow him. I don't like to say God can't. I'd rather say God won't. Because God can do anything. But he won't work and help and, and, and listen to one of his children when they're not following him. But when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Every time. Remember what, Paul, remember what Peter said? He said to Jesus, uh, how many times should I forgive my brother? Till seven times? And Jesus said, well, not seven, 70 times seven. Now, that's 490 times. Does that mean that <laughs> after we've sinned 490 times, God's going to stop forgiving us? No. It's an allegory. It's a play on words. The idea that Jesus was telling Peter is not seven times, 70 times that. Not just 490 times. Every time your brother sins against you, you need to forgive him. Why? Because every time we sin, God forgives us. We break fellowship. We go to him and, and, and ask him to forgive us. And he does. Every time. He endures it. I Sometimes I, I sit in my chair and I try to think, what's it going to be like to be in heaven with God and to see him? I, I just I, There's not a word in the English language that, that's strong enough to describe 
the greatness of our God and what he did and what he has done and how much he loves us. I mean, I wish there was a word. And I think of the word awesome or great or wonderful. Those words don't even come close to the greatness of our God and how much he loves us. So rise and shine. Live in the new light, the new light that God has given to you. Don't quench the spirit. Don't grieve the spirit. But if you do, go and ask forgiveness, and he will forgive you every time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you to God. Thank you, Lord, for what we have learned tonight. Lord, there are so many things in your word that we haven't even scratched the surface of. Lord, I thank you for giving me an opportunity to present this small token of all the great things that you have done for us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us not to quench the spirit, not to grieve you, and if and when we do, to go to you right away and ask for forgiveness, knowing that you will forgive us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name.